Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs, and you're listening to Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project Welcome. collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage with those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two excellent ways to feel good this summer. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. And Roots is open for full in-person business at 108 East Lincoln Way. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. Theme music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. Today we bring you two stories from the Welcome Project's archive titled Please God Let It Rain and Still Working on the Revolution. So today on the show, as per usual, we'll go ahead and play the stories and pause in between each to have a conversation about what the storytellers tell us. And I don't know, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to preface this these two stories with other than... Um, I think they revolve around, well, the first story predominantly revolves around women's choice, and that's been on my mind the past couple of weeks. And then I think the second story sort of brings out maybe um, a nuance in terms of personal choice and, and sort of the charge that we have in our own community, and, and maybe some, I don't know, some food for thought moving forward as we as we sort of navigate what's happening around us. And I'm talking specifically about um, the potential ban on Roe v. Wade. So this first story today is titled, Please God, Let It Rain. There was this time on campus, and it must have been right around elections because people were real heated. And someone went around campus and put all this um, graffiti all of this uh, pro-life graffiti all over campus. I am all for free speech, but a lot of these things that were written on the sidewalk kind of went a step beyond to this point that I felt really uncomfortable whenever I see them. And I saw them all the time because it was nice outside and everyone was walking outside. And I remember it's like engraved into my memory. There was this one that said, a woman doesn't want an abortion like she wants a Mercedes or an ice cream bar. She wants it like an animal who has its legs stuck in a trap. And I just kept waiting for it to rain. I was like, please, God, let it rain. Please, 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 please. And people on campus were starting to get upset. And uh, not just people in my circle, because people started grabbing chalk and writing answers back. You know, nasty things. Um, like my body, my choice, that kind of thing. I decided I was done waiting for it to rain because everyone was obviously really upset about it and I was sick of it. So at like, it was like 10 o'clock at night, uh, me and my friend, we went to the cafe. We got some waters like in the jumbo cup, right? Because water is free at the cafe. And <laughs> we've got like two in each hand and we went around and we found them and we would like pour a little water on it and we'd scuff our feet across it. And I totally ruined a pair of shoes doing this because I was wearing a, a pair of, like, canvas flats. Um, so we'd pour a little water. We'd shuffle our way over it and just make sure it was nice and scuffed up to the point where you couldn't really read it anymore. Obviously, there were still traces of it, you know, kind of like neon streaks on the sidewalk, but you couldn't really read it. 
Uh, and then we'd run out of water and we'd have to run into a nearby bathroom and fill the cups back up. And it took us probably two hours shuffling around and it was starting to get chilly. I felt really good when it was gone. I felt really good. Like I woke up the next morning and I walked to class and it was like, I don't have to read any of your hateful words. And then of course it, it like rained the next day. So that kind of defeated the point, but it felt good. I thought people were going to say something about it, but it's almost like no one noticed, uh, which was perplexing. <laughs> I wasn't looking for recognition, obviously, because I was honestly a little afraid that I'd get in trouble, um, especially with the club that did it. I think I was so late in doing it that at that point, everyone had already been talking about it and talking about it. And then the newspaper ended up publishing an article about it a couple days later. Absolutely no mention of it getting scuffed out. Some people did notice, a couple people, like close friends of mine, but uh, I don't know that most people even notice. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio here at WVLP LP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso and streaming online at WVLP.org. And I'm Allison Chudy here with Willa Walsh and Reagan Skaggs, we're your hosts for this hour. Um, and as Willow said earlier, um, we play stories from the Welcome Project Archive, which is a campus project of Valparaiso University. You can find our stories at welcomeprojectalloneword.valpo.edu if you want to hear more after today. And today's story that we started the top of the hour with is Please God, Let It Rain. We wanted to have a chance to talk today about the Supreme Court leak and the reaction across the country to finding out that the Supreme Court looks poised to overturn Roe v. Wade. So, but before we get away from the storyteller, um, what stands out to either of you in this moment that the storyteller recounts? Two things that stuck out to me was that she started talking about people leaving uh, nasty replies to like the pro-life message and that one of those nasty replies was like my body my choice and the other thing that stands out is praying for the rain uh saying please god let it rain as like you know the title of the story but she ends up having she ends up being the rain reagan do you want to say more before we move too far on i mean maybe we'll circle back to it about why my body, my choice stood out to you. Are, are you thinking because it doesn't seem like a, a nasty thing or you're? No, it doesn't seem nasty to me. And I don't understand it within the context. Mm -hmm. You know, you can make your complaints about it. It's a little slogany, right? Like it's a, people talk a lot and have very like valid conversations about concerns about stuff like quote unquote t-shirt activism, where it's like a slogan without a lot of understanding of the meaning of the whole issue as opposed to the meaning of the slogan but I don't the speaker didn't seem like they were talking about it within that context they said you know they talked about it within the context of it being like a nasty reply yeah I found myself um imagining that it was not the best example that came to the storyteller's mind but like the first thing that came to their mind yeah which I think is interesting because it's like mm. I mean, I guess I am reading it in the broader context of the, the story being told. So it seems like the storyteller would be um, pro-choice, although really we don't necessarily know that. We just know that the kinds of 
language that was on the sidewalk from the pro-life side was so painful. So I, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be assuming that the person is pro-choice because they're willing to go scuff out the more offensive, to my, to my ears, the more offensive language that was on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. It's actually so interesting to me because Regan, when I read this story, because I ended up reading this story as a transcript before I listened to it. And when I first read the transcript, like without the inflection of her voice, like the nasty part also stood out to me. Then I was like, that probably wasn't the first thing. That probably wasn't the only thing that she thought about. But yeah, it was like, and then she was talking about free speech how that sort of free speech went a little too far and made her uncomfortable. Like without hearing her tell this story, I was almost on the fence about what she meant, like mm -hmm. whether or not like, you know, I agree with the messaging on on the, you know, chalk, but I, I don't want to see it on my way to class or something like that. But I don't know, now that I hear the inflection in her voice, I kind of feel the opposite. Like she just <laughs> wanted their nasty things to go away. Also, P.S., if you use a um, plastic water bottle and use a ballpoint pen, you can stab that <laughs> in the top of the water bottle with the cap still on. And it's like a good little portable um, like power washer that's really good for getting chalk <laughs> off the sidewalk, if anybody wants to know. But yeah, I was, I was also really, really caught by um, the first sort of imagery that she gave us, which is um, like the person that said to her, a woman doesn't want an abortion like she wants a Mercedes or an ice cream bar. She wants it like an animal who has its legs stuck in a trap. Which, first of all, just chef's kiss, love comparing women to animals like a leg stuck in a trap. Oh, wonderful. Oh, I love that person. Um, Obviously, that's sarcasm. But I don't know. I'm interested to hear what you guys think about like what that person meant by that messaging. Because I'm taking it as like, it's not they're saying like an abortion isn't like a nice extra thing to have a like a nice luxury it's like a necessity like a survival thing which is so interesting because it seems like they're against the person who said this is against abortion even though they're like it's not a luxury it's a necessity for survival <laughs> i don't know what do you guys think yeah i think if you read that statement with the most goodwill that it really is the pro-life side trying to recognize that, that pregnancy can put women in really traumatic or dangerous situations. And that that's why they turn to abortion. So I'm assuming somebody who wrote this would also then be wanting to say, we as a society should be doing things to take the trap out of the way so that becoming pregnant doesn't have to be a traumatic experience. Now that's very generous mm -hmm. <laughs> because it is really hard to read past the objectification of women generally. I mean, not only just diminishing a woman to an animal, but even prior to that, to like a consumer that <laughs> wants things like Mercedes and ice cream bars. I don't, I don't know that we're just a, that women are somehow just driven by desire. Um, that's just like, wow, you need to really step back and look at what your assumptions are about women. Reagan, what do you want to add? Well, it's almost when I hear the examples of Mercedes and ice cream bar being used, I hear what they are saying as women, people, 
uh, don't want, they don't aspire to abortion, right? Which, I mean, that's true for like most people, you know, I don't think most people aspire to abortion, but then they like, they equivocate that with fault and flaw, right? Like, because nobody aspires to need a medical intervention, that medical intervention is now unnecessary. And I don't know, I, you know, I think that you have a very generous interpretation. Uh, you said it was a very giving interpretation, but I just, I wonder where a lot of pro-life circles or where that particular person, maybe this isn't a common thought process, but where that comes from, like, where do you think that just because something isn't you know preferred like i don't prefer to get my flu shot but i get it every year i don't aspire to get a flu shot but i do it because it's a necessary medical intervention for myself and the people around me so why what is wrong with like a maintenance need or a maintenance task i guess which is what a lot of uh, abortions are yeah so you're calling out like the metaphor of the trap and saying that that there's something in that metaphor that's that potentially is making the situation more dramatic than it even needs to be. Like in certain cases, a woman might need an abortion in the kind of way of thinking holistically about her life, about her children's lives, about the community that support that she has and whether bringing another child into that situation makes sense or not. Like that's, that doesn't have to be thought about as a trap that could just be an actual like this is what, this is where I am in life. This is what life has, life like looks like right now. And so I need to make the best choice given these circumstances. Uh-huh. I just, I'm still having trouble with the second line there. Like, I think that we can tell that this is sort of rooted in, I don't know, I would say a pro-life conservative standpoint, because it's, I don't know, they're saying like, she wants it like an animal with a leg stuck in a trap. And that tells me like, there's a certain amount of like blame that's happening there like you know if their leg is stuck in a trap you stepped in that trap so then it's like and it's only mentioning her right she wants it and so Mm -hmm. it's like again so it's like i don't know i'm hearing like echoes of like you know she didn't keep her legs together so this is her problem and i'm hearing i don't know the onus being on her rather than like they're they're needed to be a whole other person there to make a pregnancy happen but you know again it it falls on her for sort of i don't know i feel like it's insinuating like not keeping her things together in a way that prevented her from having a pregnancy so i don't know i'm just hearing i'm just hearing patriarchy i'm hearing blame i'm hearing um shaming happen yeah i just ugh. i don't know what i would have said to that person if they said that to me well i think that was like one of the chalk writings right like Oh, that was one of the chalk writings. Yeah, right. that, that was the, like, I don't know. The speaker calls it graffiti. I don't know if that's quite what that technically is, but I mean, it was it was on the ground for everybody to see. That's absolutely what, have you written on chalk on the ground? Like, that is wild that this person decided to write two full sentences on the sidewalk. <laughs> like, that is just, I mean, first of all, it's like, wow. But also, it's just like, that's like dedication. You have to, like, try to make, you know, chalk legible enough so that you can write two full sentences. <laughs> like, that's, oh, that's so, so upsetting. I don't know. <laughs> You're listening to Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio at 103.1 FM, WVLP, and streaming online at wvlp.org. 
we're listener supported radio. So we really rely on donations from individuals, businesses, and other organizations to support the shows that you hear. And donations are tax deductible. So we would love to have you um, make a support by going to wvlp.org backslash support. On today's show, you're catching us in the middle of um, discussing a story that happened on campus. Um, the interview was in 2015. The speaker mentions maybe it was an election year, which would have been like around 2012. So we're talking about 10 years ago, maybe. And of course, the topic is super timely because it has to do with um, like right now today, we're still living in the wake of discovering the leak draft from the Supreme Court that will overturn Roe v. Wade if it goes through. Yeah, I, I'm wondering, Willow, you mentioned, you know, like that takes dedication on the part of the chalker to put these two full sentences. And, and the speaker had mentioned that it was right around election, so people were heated. So I, it is curious to think about like how, you know, these perennial issues, I don't know if that's the right word, these contentious debates in our society that have no easy consensus outcome kind of thing, that there are still these moments where they swell into the forefront in such dramatic ways. And so for us as a country now, it's swole, swollen <laughs> again because of the Supreme Court leak um, for this storyteller and for apparently other students on campus at this time, it swelled in this smaller way for whatever reason. Um, I thought the choice of graffiti was also interesting. And that made me think something about the attitude of the speaker again, which is why I'm thinking the speaker is pro-choice because they're wanting to label the chalking of pro-life people as graffiti as opposed to free speech. I mean, she says I'm all for free speech, but then these things on the sidewalk went a step beyond. And um, I, I think, I, I mean, I know within our society, what free speech means and what's allowed under free speech is also highly debated. So I think she's kind of participating in that too, but by choosing that term graffiti, I think she's coming down on the side of um, not all speech should be protected. There are limits depending on how what you say is gonna impact people. And uh, not that we have to open that up entirely as a conversation among ourselves, but yeah, I, I don't know, like when I'm hearing you or Willow talk about like how painful it is to even hear this sentence like being recounted by the storyteller and thinking about the blaming of the woman. And this, I think this happens on both the pro-choice and the pro-life side that the decision is somehow always focused on the woman alone and not seen in a more holistic context. But I guess I don't know what my question is, like, is it about free speech? Like, would this be something that should have been on the sidewalk? Do we? Do we feel the same way as the storyteller that there's something problematic and maybe we're, are we behind the actions <laughs> that the storyteller took, uh, which is getting into interpretation, not just clarification questions, but. I mean, I am so personally glad that she and her friends went and took it off the sidewalk, but I don't know. I mean, I think that's like a really essential question, right? Of like, what, what is sort of okay? Like, I don't know if we're going to use the term graffiti, like what is okay graffiti and what is not okay graffiti. 
like I don't know I'm I'm going through like drive-throughs in Valpo and if you go like to the little speaker box they'll have like a little post-it some of them will have a little post-it that somebody put on there and it's like have a wonderful day or don't forget to smile today or I don't know take in the sun I don't know like nice small messages and it's like that's I mean it's not permanent there but it's like that's technically like I don't know you're like tagging a place and it's not technically allowed to do that but you know it brings sort of I don't know brings me joy when I see it so it's like where I I I don't know and I don't like thinking about the question is like where do you draw the line because I hate when we have that conversation about abortion but I think it's it's free speech here it's really similar to choice like at what point you know how much choice are we willing to give people how much speech are we willing to give people and sort of what is that cutoff point? Because it's like, I don't know. And I don't even know if this is a fair comparison, but I'm thinking about like, I don't know, like a woman's choice to to choose an abortion. I'm like, you personally, I feel like you should be able to do that whenever you want. If there's something inside of you, you should be able to make that choice at any point. But it's like, so it's like, I'm all for that freedom of choice there. But then when it comes to like, if a person wants to carry a loaded handgun, into Walmart, you know, it's like, it's not so much like it's their choice anymore. It's like, I don't know, I could die today. Like, I don't know. It's so, it's so, I don't know, complicated, multifaceted, nuanced. There's so many different stories surrounding this, so many anecdotes that people are sort of basing their, I don't know, opinions on. And it's, and it's hard because I think honestly, what comes, what it comes down to is that we have, I don't know, a lot of narratives going and, you know, it's like this dichotomy between pro-choice or anti-choice and I don't know I just think like we're not as a society maybe we don't have platforms that sort of talk through how complicated these issues are and like the wide variety like of experiences that people can have around abortion around freedom of choice and it's just like I think we're not I don't know it's so hard Like, I think, like, yeah, should a woman be able to choose what she wants for herself all the time? Yes. Should people be able to have free speech all the time? I wouldn't want to see this on the sidewalk. I don't know. You know, but then it's like, do you do it case by case basis? Then that gets way too. How in the world would we go about sort of deciding what's a good choice? What's a bad choice? What's good free speech? What's bad free speech? I mean, we do that in the courts, but that's not. Can't do that in your everyday life. I mean, I think I just come away from this feeling like it's just so nuanced and I, and, and I really, really understand why people come down so hard on different sides of this, because it's just, it's not something we're good at talking about. If you just reduce it down to like killing somebody or not killing somebody, somebody being a clump of cells, I mean, it's really hard to sort of get beyond that conversation. And then it's just, you write things that are terrible on the sidewalk for other people to see. And I don't think that's a particularly good mode of getting your point across to other people or getting people on your side of thinking. So I think because this is like done on the chalk, we can see that it's like, I don't know, where else would this person have said this message in person? But maybe if they were in person, that would give them the opportunity to sort of have a more back and forth conversation. Social media, I think that's a lot more one-sided, but when I think about where are we having political conversations today, I think social media. I don't know. I don't know if that was really a point, but <laughs> it made me think of a lot of different things there. It's just, it's, it's complicated. We just, we aren't taught how to have these conversations. And I think we see that when it's like, where do I put it on the sidewalk? Where do, how do I go about talking to another person about this without like bringing up my shield of armor 
in my in my values there without I don't know it's hard Reagan what's coming up for you so for me like graffiti has like terms of yes like being like illicit right like illegal like you shouldn't do that that's not allowed and this is a chalk especially at like I went to VU also and almost any individual or any organization can use like chalk on the sidewalk like I remember Alliance which is like the LGBT group on campus they would do that frequently to advertise events um, and there were a couple not really protests but like I think there was like a visual on Trans Remembrance Day and there were like a few other things like that and they would like advertise that via chalk also so I do remember this not necessarily this but I do remember these things being relatively common during um my time at VU and I do remember I was I went to VU my freshman year was the 2016 election so that is also particularly memorable um and I do remember seeing some not so kind or wonderful things both as posters um famously not famously but uh, it's okay to be white posters around campus. And I remember some not so nice things also written in chalk. And I guess the first thing that really came to mind for that was like graffiti and a, a theory of policing, which is broken windows policing, which is like, we can't let anything look bad or anything like that. Or we can't let people, you know, jump the the turnstile at public transportation. We can't let there be um, unsightly art that was not pre-approved up on the thing or that means that the neighborhood's gonna gonna go bad and so my knee-jerk reaction to that is always no it's not don't worry about it don't call it graffiti but at the same time I really get where supposedly we believe like this maybe pro-choice speaker to be and we're like you know willow to be well this feels bad and I understand that while this isn't like a permanent defacement of a public place it does feel at least permanently or not permanently um like temporarily defaced or temporarily altered in a way that makes it clear that this space is no longer my shared space in the same way that it was before yeah i actually think that's a really great way to say it i think i have been somewhat persuaded by people who have started criticizing the progressives for like trigger warnings and you know, taking out things that might, you know, hurt someone's feelings. This is the tone that people tend to take towards the progressives. I think there's a robust defense of things like trigger warnings too. So, but I have been somewhat persuaded by like, you know, we can, we can rely on ourselves to take in painful language and, and figure out how to respond to it. So I'm somewhat persuaded by that, even at the same time, like it's uh, so frustrating in, in a culture where we have these hierarchies that are still operating. So I would guess that this person who chalked on the sidewalk did not know how patriarchal and misogynistic they were being. Oh, Willow is disagreeing with me. So again, my good, my goodwill coming through here and just feeling like this is this is unintentional conditioning that has shaped this person to be operating in their patriarchal, misogynist ways. And we can think about other topics like LGBTQ. We could talk about race. The way people use language that harms and often people not understanding the harm they're causing because they are not taught to look at how we're conditioned by racial hierarchy 
gender hierarchy, sexuality hierarchy, et cetera. So I feel like the free speech thing gets caught in there, which I actually think that the pro choice pro-abortion also gets caught in there because I I heard on NPR the other day a a really good brief interview with someone who's framing the uh, access to abortion as a social justice issue, which I'm assuming both of you would absolutely agree with. And um, when you talk about it that way, you have to step back from the individual and you have to look at social systems. And that is not happening on the pro-life side very often or the anti-choice side very often. I think there are a small number of groups. Um, the Daily has a really good podcast out now where some of the people that they are interviewing from the, they would call themselves pro-life side, are really trying to think more systemically, but I think they even see themselves as in the minority of the pro-life movement. But it is this difference between the American culture's um, drive to individualism and seeing everything as personal choice and individual freedom and then the systemic reality of how we live our lives, and then the discrimination and oppression that's embedded in our particular American culture. And these things are always making, informing these debates um, in ways that make it uh, really impossible to have clear consensus, uh, for sure. Uh, This is WVLPLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso. Community-supported radio, also streaming live from WVLP.org. We rely on donations from individuals, businesses, and other organizations in order to continue to spread the word that ongoing, volunteer-driven local media leads to a better community. In other words, this show is our little bit of social activism, or one of our little bits of social activism. And we would love it if you would consider supporting this station by visiting the website, WVLP.org backslash support. Donations are tax deductible and we'd sure appreciate it. So you're listening to Listen Up. Welcome Project Radio. I'm Allison Schutte here with Willa Walsh and Reagan Skaggs. And we've been having a very (laughs) passionate conversation um, about uh, our first story because it is around the topic of abortion rights and abortion access. And I I don't know if there's more that we want to talk about with this one before we play our second story, or if we play the second story and then try to tie back into anything that's left over from the first story. Yeah, let's go ahead and play the second one. Okay, and Willa, do you want to introduce it in any way? Uh, Yeah, this one is titled Still Working on the Revolution. I moved to Valpo in 1988. I met Walt Reiner uh, maybe a year before. I was running something called the South Shore Community Unemployment Union. I had determined that what I was going to do was work for the poor. And so I was doing that. In my work with the poor, I ran into Walt Reiner, who was saying that he had done a program 20 years ago to help black families relocate to Valparaiso. He wanted to do it again, and he needed some connections. And so I said, well, you know, I'll I'll check it out because I still have my socialist leanings. And I I said, well, the only thing that's going to help women in this society is wealth. And so owning land in America is an indicator and a criteria of wealth. So if it means that I, if I could help you get some land, then that means that I can actually literally shift your status with the bank. And so you become a different person from the Dank's perspective. I helped women of color relocate to Valparaiso and they became property owners. By that time I had gotten married. So I did myself said, well, We'll relocate. 
because I wouldn't want anybody to go into an all-white middle-class community and not have anybody there with them. People were being hurt. People were throwing Molotov cocktails. People were painting swastikas. I started a church here 30 years ago. And I remember my kids coming to the back door of the church and saying, what's that? And and it's a big swastika on the door. And I'm trying to explain to them why they're trying to get to Sunday school, why folks were painting those kinds of things on the door. You know, we started a, a couple of organizations to try to deal with it. Most of the time, people try to cover it up, you know, say, oh, it's just vandalism and stuff. I said, no, it's real. And in my mind, I'm still working on revolution because that means that you're giving status to people who would ordinarily not have it, and thus giving them power and ability to make change. And so that's what I did. That's how I got here. You're listening to Listen Up. Welcome Project Radio with me, Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs. And today we have two stories from our campus collection. Both have sort of feature of a kind of activism to them. And so this is our, our second story. Um, that we are hearing for the first time. I don't know, Reagan or Willow, what stands out to you from this one as a starting point for us today? Oh, well, for me, um, the storyteller talks about, I love that he names his socialist leanings. <laughs> and he says the only thing that's gonna help women in this society is wealth and loaning, owning land. And I don't know, I mean, I think when, when I heard this story, um, when I was choosing stories for today, I, I was thinking about, I mean, we don't have too many stories, unfortunately, about women's choice, but we're always looking for more stories. Um, feel free to reach out to us at welcomeprojectradio at valpo or at gmail.com. Um, but I don't know, I was thinking more about like, you know, what are some of the factors that go into, I don't know, respecting women and, and people people's choice, you know? And so it's not just abortion, but it's also, you know, it's like how how has abortion sort of come back on the table these days, even though, you know, it's supposed to be sort of done and slated away with Roe v. Wade. But, you know, it's there's a, there's an element of, of power and agency that allow you to sort of get in positions to make decisions. And so it's not necessarily just, you know, Roe v. Wade. It's like, you know, who's deciding if we're voting on Roe v. Wade? Who's deciding if you know, we get to make these choices. And I, so I think the storyteller makes some points here, not necessarily within the, within the realm of abortion, but essentially just giving women power and agency because he, he specifically names like, you know, you become a different person from the bank's perspective if you own land. And I think that's true in a lot of different ways. If you can, if you can rise up, if you can have enough money, have enough privilege, live in a nice enough area, have enough power to make these decisions, you have more options available to you. Um, and I think that's that's really important as we think about, you know, some of the disparities that are going to happen if we don't codify Roe v. Wade. Rich, upper class, white people are not going to have a problem getting safe abortions, even if they are illegal. Black women, women of color, uh, typically, um, as we see on a statistical basis, that's not going to happen in the same way. Abortions are going to become less safe if we don't protect them. So I think it's necessary to think about, I don't know, just who's making these choices and who do these choices affect in the end? Reagan, what popped out at you from this story? 
Well, I think it's appropriate to call um, swastikas being spray painted on your back door graffiti. Um, I think we can go that far. We can go ahead and call that one vandalism. Maybe even hate speech. Yeah, let's go ahead and call <laughs> Actually, that that's not even a maybe. It's just a hate speech. <laughs> yeah, that's just, a, that's just a hate crime. Throwing Molotov cocktails at people of color because they're moving into your neighborhood. Also hate crime. You know, good to establish, good baseline. I guess what really stood out for me in this story was like moving black families into the Valparaiso community was clearly not a welcome process by like those that already lived here. Yeah the interesting thing is that um so the storyteller says 1988 is when he moved to Valpo and he says 20 years earlier Walt Reiner had helped relocate Black families to Valparaiso. So I don't know which stories on this radio show we've aired that share some of the history of the Reiners and the, the other families, many of them Valparaiso University professors and staff who basically integrated, or I should say desegregated the city of Valparaiso with the first Black families in, in the late 60s. And there was definite pushback, not only in these kinds of actions of like swastikas and Molotov cocktails, but the city trying to throw up zoning restrictions to make it really difficult to build the house for the, the Cottons, which would have been the first Black family to, to be moved here. So anyway, thinking 20 years later, we're seeing the cycle repeated where Reiner, that point, I think the organization would have been Project Neighbors trying to bring more Black families here and then getting the same kind of backlash. And if I'm remembering from my census data, which I would really urge anyone to fact check me on, you know, during the 1960s, Valparaiso would have been like 99.8% white or something like that. And by the 80s, I think we were starting to go to like 96.8% white. So thinking that there would have been a potential second round of backlash as the demographics started changing maybe. So I'm noticing that too and thinking again about how our forms of activism and then the, the kinds of backlash that gets experienced, they move in these cyclical waves, which isn't really to say anything except that maybe we're kind of caught in uh, the dynamic that we were commenting on in the first hour of the show between like a, a status quo individual rights maintaining norms under that have been conditioned by white supremacy and patriarchy and then the counter trend which is people and groups and communities that are really trying to call out how we don't live as individuals like we are completely reliant on others and interconnected. So why can't we make those relationships more fair and equitable? I have to say we are so far away from the story at this point. I'm just kind of riffing on um, what Dr. Reverend Jones gave us. At, and uh, I know that he always wanted us to be using his name when we tell his story. So some of you who listen to WBLP will know his know his voice from Morning Black, which also airs on Saturdays as well as other days too. But you know, what else do you want to call out here? I do kind of 
feel a parallel. The speaker does not explicitly state a parallel between the first story and this one where like she talks about like she had gone and erased things with chalk, like with her shoes and with some water. Her and some friends had erased the chalk things and then it seemed like nobody had noticed and we moved forward from that. And, you know, and unless you're kind of involved in the conversation around race and Valparaiso's history, the only thing I ever heard about race and Valparaiso's history was that the KKK tried to buy the school, but then the community didn't let it happen. So we we have all this work very much done by members of the community and we don't mention it anymore, even though the 80s was not very long ago. Yeah, and I also wonder what you two make of the activism of the two stories, storytellers we heard today. So like becoming the rain, like I've, I've been waiting for the rain, the rain's not coming, so I will be the rain, I will get rid of the chalking. And then Reverend Dr. Jones's decision to help Black families move to Valparaiso and make the decision as well to move to Valparaiso to start a church, to make a more supportive community here. Like the kinds of change that they're trying to enact, do we see, I guess this is just to, for the sake of the question, do we see more, more meaning in one kind of activism over another or are they both equally necessary and, and valid or helpful? I mean, just off the cuff, I would say that Dr. Jones, Project Neighbors, um, and other organizations that he describes or uh, alludes to, I would say that is, you know, that's very like on the ground, very vital activism, like, you know, getting people housing um, and being able to do so relatively directly from the way that he speaks is kind of like the epitome of Grassworks organization. Um, and then going and moving into the community to continue that work. I can't, I don't think you could not say that's activism. That's very much activism and it's very much like the ideal, right? The ideal grass grassroots movement. Um, and then I don't feel like the speaker in the first one, I don't feel like that's necessarily not activism, but it definitely isn't activism in the same way. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree slightly. I don't know, I feel like, I think about it as like activism in the same way, but maybe, you know, I think Dr. Jones, like you said, is just like a huge move of activism, right? Completely relocating to a different community that was majority white, just to sort of be an ally and a neighbor to other people who were coming here. You know, obviously that's foundational work that have provided a lot of people with housing um, in Valparaiso. But also like for the first storyteller, what she does, I think is also really essential to a sort of movement in, in, in making progress, right? Obviously moving people here, that's huge progress um, on Dr. Jones's behalf. And for her, I think too, it's like our first storyteller, you know, the act of, you know, deciding that you don't like something and, you know, hoping that somebody else changes it beside, but deciding to take that into your own hands and doing that. I mean, the more we can sort of elevate people to that point to feel like, you know, you have a part in this, you you can do something about this. I mean, the more we sort of grow that and encourage that inclination, then I think we could have more Dr. Joneses in our lives. <laughs> you know, like we can we can get to the point where we're starting with a small thing like the sidewalk chalk that's 
you know, upsetting and, and we're waiting for something else to happen. But as soon as I think you can make that first leap of, well, I can do something about this. Then the next time you come across something where you're like, I don't, I don't like how this is going. And maybe this, this feels out of my control, but maybe she'll have the confidence to say, well, I changed one thing. I can change another. And then maybe that's how we sort of grow people into, into bigger activists and we can make more change. So I, so I don't know. I really want to say like, I think even something as small as just taking away the chalk is so important because I think it can mean so much more down the line in terms of the confidence that you can have in yourself to make change in the things that are important to you and that are around you that, you know, she said only her friends noticed and that they didn't even um, put it in the paper, you know, in the paper, in the story about <laughs> the sidewalk chalk, but still she knows and her friends know and I think that's important. And I think the more we can cultivate that, the better we can be all together. Because I think what, what is what is Dr. Jones end on? He says, I'm still working on the revolution because that means you've given status to people who would ordinarily not have it, thus giving them power and ability to make change. So I think that's what, you know, that's what they're both doing. They're both on that sort of timeline. They're they're working on the revolution, you know, how big or small the acts are you know, with every act that you do, you're sort of marching towards that change. So the more people that we can have sort of making that march, I think the more progress we can make in the end. Yeah, I think your point about agency is super important. And we heard it in the first storyteller. She's like, I felt really good. I felt really good when it was gone. And and I do feel like that's also, as you just pointed out, what Reverend Jones is seeking for people. He wants to empower them to have not just agency. I think that's the additional thing. He wants to have them to have agency in a very particular way where they have more power over their lives. And I think that is probably a, a difference between the two. And I think it's also the source of the first speaker's frustration that people didn't notice. Um, it does kind of mean that the platform or the action she was taking was an arena where it could be unseen. It could go unseen. Um, whereas I think what Dr. Reverend Jones is talking about is empowering people in real um, material ways where their agency will happen in a public arena that it's a lot harder to ignore. Of course, we know, given the struggle for racial justice in our country, that it still is ongoing revolutionary work. But it's like the impact starts to get bigger and broader, I think, with the sort of actions that Reverend Dr. Jones and the Reiners and other people of Project Neighbors are, are working on. Any, do we have any final thoughts today? Maybe how each of us is feeling about not just being agents, but then actually being able to see impact too. I feel like I, I, I used to think of like, you know, the, the most amount of activism that I can do in my personal sphere is vote in every election that I can. And I think, you know, just with the decision or the leaked document from, from the decision that might happen on Roe v. Wade, I feel, I don't know, I feel sort of, sort of powerless. Like I don't have agency in this because I'm, I'm doing what I do, which is, you know, donate to campaigns and, and, you know, do activism and protests and vote. And it's kind of frustrating because it feels like that doesn't sort of get you anywhere. And so I, I don't know, I feel like other people are sort of feeling that frustration, like, dude, I voted and <laughs> this still didn't go my way. <laughs> but 
I don't know. So I think I'm just sort of feeling like how, how do we sort of regain that sense of, um, I don't know, sort of like that confidence to be able to make change, especially when we feel or when I feel right now that I'm, that I'm not really having that agency that I, that I thought I could have. I don't know. I don't necessarily know how to, how to deal with that. Reagan, anything come to mind for you? I think it's important to keep in mind, like, Willow, what you're talking about is, is, you know, one, extremely valid, and you're right. Like, I do think it's a a conversation and a feeling that a lot of people are having right now um, and that are they are continually having, right? I'm sure Dr. Jones is probably very familiar with this feeling. <laughs> He's been working for a long time for, like, a certain type of future. A lot of people have, and a lot of people will continue to. But I, I think that what a lot of all of this comes down to is things that Allison says a lot. So like, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? What does it mean to support your community? What does that actually look like as opposed to what does that um, maybe on a very surface level feel like to you? So what does it feel like or what does it look like to support um, a person who is pregnant who does not or cannot be pregnant? in a time like this? Or what does it look like to people in your life who may face like these situations? What does like support look like for those people? And I understand the frustration. I, I also vote. I also do the protests and the letter writing and all these other things too. But I, I do think it's it's also maybe more emotionally beneficial as well as like mm-hmm. materially beneficial to do what you do understand that it will not always work out and then think of what you will do in regards to support outside of the the preconditioned things that you are supposed to do yeah I think that's really well said it's like we really do have to recognize and this is not just for people who want to see change in the world but like we don't have full control over our lives or our public lives but we do get to align ourselves with our values and take the actions and tend to people based on those even if it can only be a a kind of drop in the bucket like we're still operating out of our own ethical moral framework and that in itself has validity well before we head out today uh, we would encourage you to check out WVLP's full schedule of shows at WVLP.org. And uh, we always like to point listeners to Dr. Reverend Gregory Jones' Morning Black. And it airs live every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. and then replays Thursdays at 2 and Fridays at 9. Building Leaders and Cultural Knowledge focuses on the concerns and issues that impact underrepresented communities of color. So if you want to know more about how racial justice is being sought and worked towards in our community and in our region, then tune in to his show. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to our sponsors at Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com. Both are also open for business at their locations downtown on Lincoln Way. Visit their websites to learn more. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. You can find us online at welcomeproject.belpo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support WVLP and our show, you can make a donation by going to wvlp.org support. 